Today on the Orthodox Ethos Podcast, we go deeper in our examination of orthodoxy for beginners so that you can go deeper into the mystery of the church. This podcast was originally recorded in February of 2023. Thank you for joining us and God bless you. We're very glad you're joining us tonight. We're trying to reach out to all of you who have been with us, interested in the uh, Orthodox Ethos platform, but are not yet in the Orthodox Church or just interested in learning more. And this is this podcast tonight is for you. First of all, here in Orthodox Ethos and, of course, the Orthodox Church generally, we struggle to present not our own opinions, not our own ideas, but we struggle to follow the Holy Fathers always to be uh, in their footsteps, to, do, to, to, to sit at their feet, uh, because the Holy Fathers, the saints of all the ages, were following the Holy Apostles and our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, uh, we have uh, this quote always we lead with by a very uh, eminent churchman in the uh, 14th, 15th century. Uh, it is impossible to come to know the truth or to grasp theology in any other way, but by following the saints. And of course, from the Ecumenical Councils, we have the following, the, the famous saying, following the Holy Father is how it began all of the Ecumenical Councils. And so that's how we begin our talks here tonight. So before we, a little introduction before we get into some more details, some more practical things. Uh, in our day, we observe the following, not just now, but for a long time now we observe, especially in the Western world, that there are many who are in search, in search of the experience, in search of the spiritual power, in search of the gifts that we read about in the Acts of the Apostles. We have movements, especially in America, in the beginning of the 20th century, uh, the most well-known would be the Azusa Mission Revival and other Pentecostal revivals that have been going on. Or actually, we're observing, we're hearing about one right now coming out of a university in Kentucky, which has been going on for weeks and has kind of gotten national attention. So there's this, there's a search and a desire and 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 a, uh, a zeal uh, for uh, having the experience that we read about in the Acts of the Apostles. They're in search of the power of the Holy Spirit, precisely because they lack it. They feel it lacking, and they go in search for it. And many times they do not see it around them. They do not see him in the persons in their lives. And so they call out to God, rightfully so, in search of that experience, in search of that, which has appeared apparently or was in many cases not experienced hitherto. We have others who are constantly ringing the bell of renewal. They're speaking of it with enthusiasm for revival and revitalization. And there are others who are searching in the 20th century, especially we saw a real attempt among scholars in the West to go back to the fathers, to the Holy Fathers, which was a commendable desire, of course. Uh, but it, re it re reveals that in this very desire for return, for revival, renewal, uh, that something's been lost. It's a confession that we've lost something. 
Uh, they confess the gap that exists between their experience and that which is described in the Acts of the Apostles or the lives of the early church. We have a lot of people in the 20th century who've, who've done tremendous work in trying to present once again the views of the early church, for instance, that had been lost or been forgotten or been never been entertained by many in the West. And there are those, that portion of a secularized Christianity, which sees a need for a aggiornamento, the famous term for the Vatican, Second Vatican Council, bringing things up to date. We have to up to date, up, update the church, which was the call back in the 60s during the Second Vatican Council. Or we also have heard, and now it's become very much standard uh, phrase in among the Protestant Reformation, semper reformando, constant reform. And it's seen as a part and parcel of the quest for godliness, constant reform. Uh, the famous phrase from the Second Vatican Council was resourcement, which was again returning to the sources, uh, which would have been the, the Holy Fathers of whether that was achieved or not is another question, but there was this desire, especially before and after Vatican II in the Roman Catholic world. In this search for a part of paradise, a part of the holy tradition that's been lost, it's apparent that the timelessness of the kingdom, the diachronic presence of the Holy Spirit, the living tradition of the living God has been forfeited for that which is purely human, temporal, which is always in need of correction and updating. The very, the very confessions, the very slogans that were developed actually reveal something is wrong, something is missing. Eternal life and grace of God breathed into the soul of the church had been lost for, to many and replaced by a precariousness and a weakness of religion. And that's why there was this desire for the living waters. But for the Orthodox Church, we don't have to go anywhere. We don't have to search anywhere. We don't have to go and search outside of the church to find these experiences. We're sinful, we're weak, we're unworthy, but we don't have to go far at all. It's right in front of us every day. When we sit down in the morning, say our prayers, stand before the holy icons, we have the images of the saints of yesterday and today, and continually we're presented with the experiences and the authority of the holy apostles in every age. And we see this, we feel this, we live this in the successors in practice of the holy apostles. This is an icon of the holy feast of Pentecost that you see on the left here with the descent of the tongues of fire. The, of course, they were not literal tongues. They were the Holy Spirit descending upon the apostles gathered in the upper room. You see the apostle Peter on the left and Paul on the right. Of course, Paul was historically not present at the time, but he's included as, uh, as, a, as an image of the, of the choir of the apostles. And this feast of Pentecost is never missing because it's seen and lived par excellence in the charismatic elders of Orthodox monasticism. And you see here on the screen images of men in our day who achieved tremendous holiness and glorification in God, just as we see in the Acts of the Apostles, the same gifts, the same treasures, the miracles. On the left is glor newly glorified ascetic of Mount Athos, Saint Ephraim of Katonakia. In the middle is 
the great apostle to America, Elder Ephraim, whose monastery is not far from me here in Arizona, and many of the monasteries that he started all of the, around the United States, almost 20 of them throughout the United States and Canada. He was a monk from Mount Athos who came and was recently reposed just a few years ago. And then the, the one in the third from the left is the, the uh, uh, well-known writer, ascetic in, Mount, uh, in uh, Northern California, Father Seraphim Rose, who was a convert at the time and a disciple of the last one on the left, on the right, St. John of Shanghai in San Francisco, a, a great wonder worker in, la in the latter times who, who's reposed in San Francisco, and his relics are incorrupt. They're incorrupt, and they're, they've maintained uh, the form and the figure of the saint himself by God's grace and God's power. And so in the lives of such men, but there are many more throughout church history, here are a few more that we commemorate today in the 20th century. We see the Acts of the Apostles in our day. We don't need to renew something that's been dead. We don't have a dead holy tradition, contrary to the caricature that oftentimes is thrown at us because uh, from certain quarters of the Protestant world, because they do not distinguish between that in which they've, that which they've encountered and reacted and rejected uh, against in uh, Catholicism. But we have a living tradition, and we don't need to return the Holy Father's long forgotten. Uh, we don't need a resourcement. We don't need a, a, a giornamento. We don't need a separate reformando. We don't, these things are not a part of our, our experience at all in the Orthodox Church. These are phrases we are uh, foreign to us. We've never had a need for another council to renew things, to regenerate, rejuvenate, change, update. None of that is a part of the Orthodox Church's experience, even to this very day in the 21st century. Because the holy tradition remains alive today in the contemporary saints, in their lives, in their, in their, their work in the church, their, their labor in the church, rather, their, their, their crucifixion uh, to the world and their uh, resurrection and life that they gave to so many around them. So uh, they, are they are in word and deed representatives of the faith once delivered to the holy apostles and experienced and seen on the pages of the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, before we move on, this icon in the middle shows you four contemporary holy ascetics and fathers in the church on Mount Athos. On the left, again, is Elder Joseph the Hesychus, the picture and the icon. And then St. Ephraim of Katanakia, who remember who we mentioned earlier, and then St. Porphyrios, the great ascetic of Athos, who lived in Athens and reposed, who was a wonder worker and, a, and a clairvoyant and, and had many gifts of the spirit and read new things that were happening in other parts of the world and the new thoughts of men and women who came to him for confession. There were many, many miracles worked through St. Porphyrios and St. Paisios of the Holy Mountain, the fourth one in the icon to the right. And then again, an, an image, a photograph of Ephraim of Katonakia, Saint Ephraim of Katonakia. Uh, these are pictures of these great contemporary saints just recently reposed just a few decades ago. And here, I, here are books that are circulating in the English language all about their lives. And all of uh, pious Orthodox Christians are pouring over these books, looking 
uh, for guidance on how to live in this day and age the, and go deeper into the spiritual life. St. Paisios, the Holy Mountain, St. Joseph the Hesychast, by his disciple, Elder Ephraim, who we mentioned, Elder Ephraim of Katanaki again, and St. Porphyrios on the right. The words of these holy apostles are always up to date. They're always relevant. They never need reform precisely because they lived in the eighth day, the day of salvation, the day of resurrection, and their teachings flow from the permanence of eternity. They're not looking for something on earth, trying to find something. They're not going out in search of something outside of Christ, outside of the church. Church and Christ are one. And we see here more images of these great contemporary ascetics, St. Paisius, the Holy Mountain on the left as a young man and then as an older man, and St. Uh, uh, Paisius icon in the middle, and then the great elder in America of Arizona, Elder Ephraim, whose life is now being produced and soon to be published in four, three, three volumes plus two more volumes of his writings and, and images and things like this. So this is all forthcoming. This is very close to us. This is the, the, the disciples of these great saints and successors of the, the apostles uh, are, are close to us. Here's an image in the middle here of, of many of the saints that have been glorified and commemorated and, 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 and lived in the 20th century in the Orthodox Church. And there we could go through them all and it would, we could spend hours talking about their lives and teachings. St. Justin Popovich, uh, Sophronia of Essex, uh, Cleopa of Romania, uh, Siloan of Mount Athos, uh, martyrs and confessors uh, in Russia, in uh, China, in, from, uh, in, from the time of the Soviet persecution. You have missionaries to Japan. You have ascetics in modern Greece like Papa Nicholas Planas or St. Savas of Kalimnos, and the list goes on. And, and uh, this, is, this is the same life that we encounter throughout the church's history, 2,000 years of church history, we see the same life, the life of Christ. Christ is the one who lives in every one of these great uh, ascetics, these great teachers, these great missionaries. He is the one that is constantly present throughout the church. And again and again, in every age, he is present in his holy ones who are glorified. And, and there will never be a time until the very second coming that the church of Christ will ever be absent such uh, saints, such holy men, such teachers who are who are successors to the apostles in not in not just not just in ordination, not just that they confess the faith, but their lives are like those we read about in Scripture because it's the same Holy Spirit that descended to Pentecost that descends upon those who are made worthy in the, our day as well. It's the same teaching and living out the same dogma, the same ethos from age to age. And so we have, we don't need to re renew, regenerate, reform anything. We simply need to come and, and follow the saints, follow the Holy Fathers and enter into the life that they show us, which is the same life from age to age to age, beyond all of these contemporary saints who are given for us in our, and, and to help us on the path of salvation. We have the Synaxarium, the lives of the saints that go back for 2,000 years. After Holy Scripture, the Orthodox Christians pick up the lives of the saints because it is Holy Scripture. It is the Holy 
life of the church, the life of Christ, lived out in every age, and the thousands upon thousands of examples that we have, that we turn away from all the examples of the contemporary age, which are going unto damnation and condemnation, the saints of the popular saints of Hollywood that are not examples of holiness. We turn away from all of those. We don't need any examples from this world in this contemporary society. We have the saints we just mentioned. But we have all the saints that came before who are the living out the same life in Christ. This is the great treasure of becoming an Orthodox Christian that you can live in the midst of this great holiness and sanctity from age to age, changeless, Christ yesterday, today, and forever, stability that we can live on the foundation of, of, of Christ that's laid again and again. It's not something that we look back to 2,000 years ago. We remember. No, we don't remember as if something happened once upon a time, like a fairy tale. We remember in the sense of, in the Greek, keros. In other words, it's ever-present. It's timeless. It's Christ, the, God's presence in this world, which is a timeless presence. And we say that in the, in the services of the Divine Liturgy and and in the feast days, we say today, the feast of the Annunciation or the, the feast of Pascha or the Nativity. It's a ever-present reality in the church. It, it's timelessness enters into time. Eternity enters into our world and we experience it. We live it. That's the promise. That's what Christ said. I will be with you until the end of the age. I will guide you in all truth. So this is how... We, um, this is the great treasure of the church for the world and for all of you who are seeking or interested in learning more about orthodoxy. This is what is so glorious about the Orthodox Church. The, the things that we treasure in the Orthodox Church are the holiness of the saints because it's Christ who lives in them. It's not I, St. Paul said, but Christ who lives in me. And so whether we we glorify Christ directly or we glorify Christ in the saints. It's the same glory because it's him. He is all in all throughout the church and, and in the lives of all these uh, crucified and resurrected ones, the saints. How, do we, how should you approach the church? This is obviously an extremely important matter. Like you can come in and you see in the gospel that there were many who approached Christ. But not all stayed as his disciple. In fact, not all even honored him. There were those who approached him and reviled him. There were those who approached him and mocked him. There were those who approached him, became his disciple, and then betrayed him. There were those who never approached. Ah, they were Romans. They had no business with the Jews. Why should we even pay attention to him? Or when they appeared before, when Christ appeared before them, they said, what is truth? Right? So, just because Christ comes near us, there's no guarantee that we will be saved or we will embrace him or we will become his disciples. It depends on us. We have to approach him in all humility, love, and reverence. And so it's the same question because the church is the body of Christ. The church is Christ's presence. It is the continuation of the incarnation. We'll talk about that in a minute. So how should we approach the church? First and foremost, as seekers, there's been many seekers. There will be many seekers. We're, we're an age of, of those who seek and yet never seem to find. They're constantly seeking, seeking. We have new age. We have the, we have the transhumanist. We have all kinds of movements that, are, that have a spiritual dimension to them. 
does not mean by any stretch of the imagination that everything spiritual is holy. God forbid that we would believe that. But there are those who discover something spiritual and they go, they, they run after it without any kind of discernment as to whether this is of God, because there is a demonic realm. And just because you seek after something spiritual does not at all mean you actually are encountering God. So first and foremost, don't make the mistake of seeking after experiences alone. Of course, the experiences we're talking about in the lives of the saints and the Acts of the Apostles are, are things that the church experiences throughout 2,000 years, and it's something that we all should seek, like Thomas, to put our hand in the, in the print of the nails. That was a blessed disbelief because it revealed more uh, uh, clearly the reality of the resurrection. And so that desire to have an experience of the presence of God is a good desire. But you first and foremost, we must not seek experiences per se, cut off from the truth. We must speak, seek truth, love truth. And in this day and age of relativism, of the new age, of the 35,000 Protestant denominations, the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free, not any spiritual experiences per se. All right, so that's the first and foremost. We have to love the truth, as the Lord said, and we will be set free by knowing this truth. And the truth, of course, is Christ himself, but not just as an historical figure, but as an ever-present reality. Christ in our midst, right? Christ in our midst. That's how we live him in the Orthodox Church. Secondly, quickly going through this, I'm interested in your questions. I hope that you're already submitting questions uh, to uh, John. I see there's a whole bunch of questions already, so that's very good. That was my, that was my hope. Uh, well, hopefully we'll be able to answer your questions. Secondly, seek a trusted guide. Seek a trusted guide, without which the gospel is a closed book. Now, coming if you're coming from the Protestant background, you're going to say, whoa, that's, that's not what I believe. I believe that I can sit down, read the scriptures, and I can have direct revelation, direct experience. I can understand the scriptures without any intermediary. But that's not what the gospel, the Acts of the Apostles say, says. We read in Acts 26-39 uh, the story about the baptism of the eunuch. And what does he say? The apostle asks him, understandest what thou readest? And he says, how can I, except some man should guide me? Now, this is not an accident. This is not just reply, uh, 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 applying to him. But everything in Scripture is for teaching and for our example. And this is an example of what... We have to do. We have to have guides in this life. We, it's God arranged for that. The whole the economy of salvation is such that He wants us to be obedient to Him through and in His apostles. It's very clear in Scripture that He appoints His apostles, and the apostles will be able to to uh, uh, loose and to bind. And the and if they did not listen to the apostles, what happens? They are not. They become. Uh, thrown out from the church in the midst of the, the early church in the Acts of Apostles. We had two who came to him and, and did not say the truth about what they had given. They had with, they had uh, not given everything to the community, and they dropped dead in Peter's presence. 
the apostles were uh, not simply to teach. Their authority was not simply to pass on what they had been taught, but they had a spiritual authority. They had a spiritual role to guide the people of God to Christ. And through and in the apostles of every age, we have to become disciples of Christ. And so seek a trusted guide. Now, what does that mean? You're in the middle of, I don't know, let's say Montana, Wyoming, I don't know, Kansas. You're far from an Orthodox church. You don't know about Orthodoxy. What does that mean to seek a trusted guide? Well, in those times and places when we cannot immediately find a trusted guide near us, an experienced spiritual father, an experienced priest or monk or bishop or whoever it might be who's already given his life over to Christ and has made much progress on the spiritual path, then we take refuge in the Holy Fathers, the saints of all the ages, and we become their disciples through their writings. And not that it is not sufficient, but until we can find through that prayerful, reverent study, a living trusted guide who might be on the other side of the country, but you might only visit him once or twice, but it is essential that we submit ourselves to the disciples and the disciples of the disciples in every age. And so until you can find a local parish, which is essential, there are many people who think they can be Christians outside of a concrete community, not possible. They can be Orthodox Christians outside of a concrete parish, not possible. We have many things given to us today in this uh, age of the internet, but it is still impossible to be a part of the Orthodox Church if you're not a part of the concrete manifest presence of the church in every place, time, space, wherever you might be on the face of the earth. Now, there are people writing me today from Iran. I have several people who are seeking to be Orthodox Christians that are corresponding with me from Persia, right? And they tell me that they're, they're, they're forbidden to be baptized. They're, if they apostatize, they could be killed. Uh, and it's very, very difficult to become an Orthodox Christian. But the answer is that with God, nothing is impossible. And step by step by step, with God, if we truly seek him with all our heart, soul, and mind, even that seemingly insurmountable obstacle can be overcome and has been overcome many times throughout church history. We have many stories of those who, by God's grace, found their way to the baptismal font, found their way into the church through after uh, overcoming many obstacles. So we have to trust the Lord. We have to trust that he will provide us a guide. We have to seek it with all our heart, soul, and mind. Pray for it. Ask for it. Look at the, the, the eunuch is on his road, and miraculously the apostle appears before him. So nothing is impossible for God, but it is essential that we have a guide, that we become disciples, that we submit ourselves to Christ in and through his disciples. And that's why I believe you're, you've arrived to the point where you want to uh, follow Christ in the Orthodox Church. You've sensed that the stability, the ever never changingness that's always the same yesterday, today, and forever, that is missing outside of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Even Catholicism today is rocked by constant change, and even the head of the uh, communion of Catholicism is teaching and preaching heresy today by the confession of many traditional Roman Catholics. So the, the, the degree of instability in Western Christianity probably has never been uh, so instable, so confused, 
and people are searching for stability. And you're going to find it in the one holy Catholic Apostolic Church and in the saints. I want to I'm going to repeat that many times because it's essential. Even Orthodox Christians are being confused and rocked by certain leaders who are going the way of the world. That's not going to stop because you become an Orthodox Christian. The people are free to apostatize. We've had apostates, we've had heretics, we've had uh, throughout the church history. And they're usually in places of great authority. They're among the hierarchs usually or the, uh, or the, uh, the learned philosophers or theologians among the clerics. Rare do you have some simple uh, uh, sacristan or layman or chanter who becomes a great heretic and leads people away. It's usually the leaders who become apostates. And we had one of the 12 who was an apostate. So it's nothing new, really. We should not be shocked or, or, or uh, uh, scandalized that there are those today who are teaching the heresy of ecumenism among the Orthodox. That's not something that should be all that surprising. We've had a, this heresy of the, uh, the confusion and distortion of the body of Christ, of the nature of the church uh, as a teaching now for many decades. And it, is, it, is, it has gotten eaten away at the, uh, at, the, at the fabric of the church in the lives of certain people, and they're going along with it uh, toward uh, the door. And, and so uh, in spite of that, however, as has happened for 2,000 years, many have become saints, many have become holy, many are still on the path, the narrow path of salvation, following the saints. That's why I want to stress that again and again. We have to be disciples of the saints, and they do. They are not lacking in our day. That's the good news, that Christ is risen, Christ is in our midst, Christ is still uh, present, and people are becoming Christ-like. They're, they're going from the image to the likeness. They're being deified. They're being glorified in God through the grace of God, even in our days. And so in spite of it all, the rock of the confession of his divine humanity and the experience of that in the church is not lacking. Finally, before we go to questions, I want to just say that do not seek out correctness as you see it. Do not fall into the disease, the sickness on the right. And we talked about ecumenism on the left. There's various diversions and perversions and distortions on the right and the left, right? We walk in the Orthodox Church on a tightrope High extended in the air. We are, we are tightrope walkers, as it were. And we're constantly on the royal path, avoiding the extremes, avoiding the delusion, the distortions that the devil wants to take us away into a zeal without knowledge or into a delusion of the world, a secularization, a worldliness. Both are extremely destructive. So do not seek correctness per se as you see it. Do not become as some in our day have become experts, online theological experts. They're not even baptized or the, the, uh, the, the water is still uh, not dried and they're now teaching everyone about the faith. That is not the way of, uh, of the Holy Fathers that's actually skewed by the church, church fathers that uh, we need to be disciples for a long amount of time before we become teachers. So there's a danger today with so much information available online to, to become a smart aleck, to become a know-it-all, to become somebody who, 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 is, uh, 
who gets it and then turns around and thinks that he has it all. Right? Do not do that. Seek the church. Seek the body of Christ. Seek discipleship under the disciples of the disciples, right? The Lord is in our midst. In the church is the continuation of the incarnation. In his body, through his holy ones, in the mysteries, in the ascetic life that we lead in the church, we encounter him insofar as we're purified and being purified from the passions and the sins and the diseases of the spirit and the delusions of the world. We are walking with him and experiencing him, encountering him, just as they did on the road to Emmaus or throughout uh, uh, the time of his ministry. Uh, but even more so, we have the great blessing. The Lord said greater things will be done by his disciples and apostles after his departure. And we have the great blessing not only to walk with him, but to have him dwell in, in us. To him, he comes and abides in us and dwells in us, and we eat his body and drink his blood as he commanded us on the at the end there before his crucifixion in the in the mystical supper. He commanded us to do this again and again to participate in the mystery of the Eucharist. And so not only we follow him, we now are we put him on in baptism and we partake of him in holy communion. And we have the chrism at St. John says, and we know all things in the church because of the, the spirit of God, which is uh, dwells in us in the mysteries and through the mysteries. So the Lord is not a respecter of persons. He is not a favorite. He plays no favorites whatsoever. It, it, it is a, a, a true democracy, so to speak, in that sense, in the church. If you struggle, if you love, if you sacrifice, if you confess, if you follow the saints with all, all your heart, soul, mind, you love Christ and are communing with him and committed uh, to him and you're confessing his name, there, there is no favoritism. He's not going to look away from you because you're an American or you're in Indonesia or wherever you might be, uh, not far from the centers of, of Orthodox uh, Christianity. None of that is an obstacle for our Lord. He says, shows no favorites, but he reveals himself to all who seek him fervently, humbly, sincerely in his body, in the church, in the mysteries, uh, and seek him out and want to commune with him. So uh, a few small pointers here, just spiritual, I would say, principles. Seek the truth before experiences. Seek a trusted guide, whether, uh, for, you know, ideally in the flesh first and foremost, but if that takes time, and it may take time for many of us in the Western world, in the English-speaking world, because of the uh, uh, massive uh, distances that it often takes for us to go to monasteries or go to parishes, uh, then you seek it out in the lives of the saints, in the lives of the Holy Fathers. And then to seek the church, the body of Christ, the life in the church, the, 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 the community and communion of the church, and not correctness not do make do not make orthodoxy into an ideology do not make orthodoxy into the right way you know i i'm now arrived because i know all the right things right that's a disease that can easily become pharisaism we have to be very careful uh, of the temptation on the right now a few pointers here about just if you're interested in going deeper you want to read a book about how to enter into the orthodox church i'm going to suggest two or three and that's it there's Dozens and dozens of books. We can talk about them here during your question and answer session. I'll show you a few. 
But one of the better ones is by Metropolitan Neophytos, I'm sorry, Metropolitan Herothios of Nafpacto. Metropolitan Herothios of Nafpacto. You can buy that on Amazon, still at a reasonable price. And that is uh, entering the Orthodox Church. It's really, it's really to be, I think, used during the catechumenate, but it could be read even uh, as before the catechumenate. I think it would be still be very edifying. Now, uh, one of the things he says, which is what is so important for us to understand, the time of the catechumenate, let's say you're an inquirer, you're not yet a catechumen, you're interested in the Orthodox Church, but you just haven't been able to get to a church, or you're not yet a catechumen, you're just interested and you're wondering, what is this catechumenate? What does it mean? How do I make the, 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 uh, the journey to baptism eventually, right? I'm, it's a, it seems like an overwhelming journey. Well, first and foremost, let's understand it properly. The catechumenate is not a time to learn about the church. You can do that as an inquirer. Catechumenate is not to read books and to have more or less an understanding of of the of the uh, Orthodox Church, but uh, uh, from like an academic understanding, from a distance. No, the catechumenate is that you have begun the process of purification from all of that which opposes the presence of the Holy Spirit in our souls and bodies, and it begins with a service. The service of making one a catechumen, and it has exorcisms among the prayers, and you be you become a member of the community. And if by God's inscrutable providence, someone who is a catechumen does not make it to baptism, but reposes beforehand, he will receive as one of the community a burial as an Orthodox Christian. Uh, so, uh, as a catechumen uh, and an or, or, you know, as one who's been a, made a Christian in that sense, right, of confessing the name, of desiring uh, the Lord. So, uh, uh, that is a process of purification. It's already the beginning of the life in Christ uh, in earnest, right? We're, we're, we're preparing for baptism. But it's not uh, that you... Baptism begins when you with putting on Christ. It's the it's the it's the mystery of initiation, but it, but it's not an abrupt legalistic magical thing, right? It's not a separate from that which comes before it or separate from that which comes after it. It's a part of a process, and I think that's what I want to I want to get across to you is that the catechumen is a part of that process, and it's a, it's the part that we we have to live in earnest the life of the church. We have to do everything except the participation in the mysteries. We have to pray with the church, fast with the church, think in love with the church, go through the process of throwing off all those ideas, all those ways which are contrary to the grace of God, so that when we arrive at the baptismal font, we are prepared to become a temple of the Holy Spirit. And that is not done, again, simply by reading about or learning about the church, right? So unfortunately, today, there are many who, there are many who think that catechumenate is simply to learn about the church. Uh, that is not the catechumenate. And they give, uh, even priests give catechumens just books. Here, take a book, read a book, uh, read this another book, or read another book. Uh, and, uh, oh, you, so you want to become Orthodox? You're ready. No. That's not the catechumenate. So that's why this book is important. 
Uh, he says here, I'll read it to you, read along with me. In our own day too, certain indispensable conditions must be fulfilled in order for catechism to take place in a proper orthodox manner. The fundamental prerequisite for proper catechism is the existence of an experienced catechist. That's the ideal. That's, the, that's what we would like, right? We seek that. Capable of adjusting the message on each occasion according to the requirements and interests of the catechumen. The association of catechism with worship and ascetic practice is also absolutely necessary because otherwise it will be merely cerebral and theoretical, which is not what the catechumen it is all about, right? It's not a course in orthodoxy. It is highly desirable for catechumens to be associated with the church community, either a parish or a monastery, where they will meet the truth that the Orthodox Church is a spiritual therapeutic community within which the illness of man's soul are cured. The illnesses are cured. The church is a hospital. And the whole process of the catechumen is preparing you for baptism as a, as a uh, moment of total purification and illumination and, and becoming the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Healing coming with the descent of the Holy Spirit. Just as happened at Pentecost, the same event, the same event of Pentecost for you and me and every one of us, we have to go through this process. And so clearly, look at what happened with the apostles themselves. How many years were they with the Lord? Three years. After three years, Pentecost came about. In the ancient church, the catechumen, it was three years. Three years to imitate both the apostles, but also they had to disin disinvest. They had, to, they had to, to lose that way of life, the pagan way of life. Today, we have a tremendously pagan culture. We worship ourselves. We worship at the throne of our interests, our passions, our desires. We're, we're, we're individuals, not in communion, which is what the way of the life of the church is. But we're individuals that we live for ourselves for the most part. We're trained to cultivate not the virtues, but the passions. So this is a process to change and to become according to the image and the likeness, right? To, to change through this whole catechumen and to become a new man in Christ, a new creation in Christ. And it's very, very important that you do not rush the catechumen and you do not end the catechumen without going into the font of baptism and being baptized and being purified. Who does not want that? Who does not want to be totally washed and cleansed and purified and rejuvenated and become a, a new creation in Christ in the Orthodox Church? Let me point out another book which is extremely valuable, especially for Protestants. This is a book that literally puts you at the feet of a contemporary saint, answering your questions as a Protestant inquirer. If you're coming from the Protestant background, this would be extremely helpful, but also very helpful for anyone Orthodox Christians could very much be benefited by this text as Roman Catholics, Monophysite, non-Chalcedonians, whoever it is, will be extremely benefited because in this book, you have a great elder from the country of Romania who sits and speaks to all of the inquiries, the many, many issues that Protestant, uh, either Protestants themselves or those who had been influenced by Protestants in Romania in the 1990s 
were coming to the elder in his cell in his in the in the uh, monastery of Siastria in Moldavia and putting questions to him that they had been themselves uh, asked by the Protestant uh, missionaries at the time. So you have essentially a meeting between Protestant missionaries and a great elder and ascetic uh, and saint, soon to be glorified by the Romanian church. So he is a trustworthy guide. We talked about finding a trustworthy guide. If you can't immediately find one in the flesh, turn to the ones in print who are in our days like Elder Cleopa. He inherited 2,000 years of apostolic tradition, trained from his youth in an ascetic struggle against the passions. A man of continual prayer and fasting, possessing an encyclopedic knowledge of the Holy Fathers, the Holy Scriptures. In 1,000 references and explanations of Holy Scripture, he gives answers to the questions, such as the presuppositions of personal salvation. Right? That's a big question for a lot of Protestants. Study of Holy Scripture, veneration of icons. I'm sure I'll have questions tonight about the icons. Relics, saints, angels, virgin, the mother of God, the most holy Theotokos, Mary, the true cross. Why do we venerate the true cross, the actual cross? He was Our Lord was crucified. We treasure in the Orthodox Church and venerate and kiss. Absolutely. The offering of the prayer for the dead, for the repose of the souls of those who have gone before us. He answered all these questions. Second coming of Christ, a thousand-year reign, speaking in tongues, the keeping of the Lord's fe feast on Sunday instead of Saturday, and much more. So if you have all these questions, I'll do what I can tonight, but far cry from what Elder Cleopa can do in the, the truth of our faith discourses from Holy Scripture on the uh, on Christian orthodoxy. So that's another potential guide for you. Now, another book, before I could go on for hours on books, we're only going to give three tonight. Another book that's essential reading is right here, The Way of a Pilgrim. The Way of, We are all pilgrims here. There's no one who's not passing through this vain world on, in search of Christ. And this book is a phenomenal uh, guide to the Jesus prayer, which is at the center of the Orthodox Church. The center of all the great saints was the prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, which is constantly repeated and, 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 and throughout our day, constantly standing in the presence of God, having him constantly present. And it's an answer to the, to, the, to the admonition of the apostle who says, pray unceasingly to the, to the uh, disciples there and to everyone that came after him. Pray unceasingly. So that's one book, The Way of a Pilgrim. Another great example, in the same spirit of the great pilgrim in Russia in the 19th century, is the example from the very beginning. So you see how it's, whether you're in the 4th century or you're in the 20th century, the 19th century, the same life, the same spirit, the same teachings, the same uh, experience of Christ. And in those days, uh, before there was the blossoming of the desert, the desert becoming a city, it was the great St. Anthony, the young man then. He just lost his parents right at the turn of the fourth century. He loses his parents. He's got his young sister to take care of. And he says, what's this all about? What's this Christian life all about? What's life? He goes to church and he hears, if you would be perfect, go and sell that you have and give to the poor and come follow me and you shall have treasure in heaven. And he immediately sells everything. And then he says, what am I going to do with my, my sister? How am I going to live? And he goes the next time to church and he says, take no thought for the morrow. No, be not anxious for the morrow, for tomorrow. And then he decides that's it. And he gives his sister over to some relatives to take care of. 
and he begins his ascetic life in earnest and goes uh, outside the city a bit and begins and eventually becomes the great Anthony, the great father of the desert, the professor of, of all the monks in the desert, uh, who uh, was so close to St. Athanasius the Great, the great confessor of the faith against the Arians, and himself a confessor of the faith against Arianism. But there's so much there. Read the life of St. Saint Anthony the Great. It's free online. It's all over the internet. You can find it easily in several versions. Read the life of St. Anthony the Great, and you'll see the lives. In his life, you will see again and again that life, the life in Christ that he lived out, is repeated throughout all the ages. Uh, these, this is how the saints approached the question of life in Christ, right? They went deeply, immediately into the question of communion with God and prayer. So if you're coming to the Orthodox Church to be correct, but you're not interested in going deeply into the kingdom of God and the life of Christ and deep into prayer, you may be sorely uh, disappointed and eventually fall away is we cannot remain in the life in Christ in the church without wanting to go deeper spiritually on a daily basis and becoming more and more uh, purified, illumined and glorified in Christ. <laughs> Oh, my God.